0: Well, good morning. Good morning.
1: morning.
0: How many of you are here today? I mean, that's a legitimate question. Do you ever catch yourself when we're singing worship songs going, all right, I'm here, my mind's there, whatever, oh yeah, I'm supposed to be singing, and you have to smack yourself upside the head and go, I'm here. I'm here in worship. I greeted somebody beforehand who hadn't been here for a while. and I won't mention his name, but his name's Gordo. And because um, and, uh, he's been on some wild, crazy pace of work for the last month. But uh, I was just uh, saying it was good to see you today. And he was glad to be here today. And, uh, you know, I was thinking we have a privilege and a blessing to come together to be in the house of the Lord. I was glad when they said unto me, let us go. Into the house of the Lord. Psalm 100 says this Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us, and we are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good, and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. And I'll ask you again. How many of you are here this morning? Yeah. Amen? Yeah. Yeah. Amen? I don't know. We're going to... I'm in one of those days. I'm, maybe it's because I'm coming to the end of this series. Guess who's coming to dinner? I'm loosening up a little bit more uh, from the series. But uh, uh, I, I, maybe I'll do it at the end of the service. We'll see. Maybe not. Guess who's coming to dinner? We have two more guests today and next week. We finish out and then we're going to step into a new series as we move into the fall. But um, I've enjoyed this series and the different uh, people that we've had gather around the table. And uh, we've said that when you have a dinner meal, the first thing you need to be doing around the table is to have prayer. And so, because we've entered his gates with thanksgiving and we're in his courts with praise, we also come to him with prayer this morning. And so, we're going to have our prayer time around the table before we meet our guests and step into God's word for today. And uh, last week, Amelia did a great job leading us in prayer time uh, with a Spanish prayer. And I thought we would change it up a little bit today. And no, I'm not going to have somebody do it in Hebrew or anything. But um, I would like us to have a team prayer today. I don't know um, if you do this or practice this at home, if you have children or grandkids, whatever, or when you're just even with friends. But um, I've encouraged my family to be on the spot in case I ask them to pray. And they used to bucket in the early days, and then they started to work their way into, all right, Dad, I'll pray kind of thing, right? And now it's just beautiful to hear my kids pray, even Levi with uh, not quite understanding his words sometimes, you know. And I'm like, we need to, as a body of people, know that when we come together in the house of the Lord, that when we pray, we all pray together. And uh, I'm not going to put anybody on the spot today, so don't stop sweating right now. But I am going to ask three individuals to come up. I would like to have Mike Smith, my wife Melissa, and uh, Mike Bartell to come up. And they're going to lead us in prayer. And as we pray, it's always important, I think, for us to realize there's different components to prayer. We'll go with Mike, Melissa, and Mike. Mike. (laughs) Yes. Yeah, I didn't realize that. doesn't matter. Because I, I, like, I like things even. I don't know if this is going to stretch, so you're going to have to step over with it. Um, to lead off your prayers with words of thanksgiving and praise, that's always appropriate. I always get frustrated when I think about, you know, somebody walking in the door of my house and say, Dad, can I get this? I'm like, can you just say hi? All right, so... We lead off prayer with words of thanksgiving and appreciation. And then I want us to pray for us as a community of people who we are and what God's uh, calling us to do but the needs in this body. And then I want us to pray also on a global basis for what God's doing around the world. We are part of the Christian Missionary Alliance, and as an alliance church, you sort of note that on the back of your post, uh, there's a lot of works going on around the world, and one this week that I was notified by is uh, the work of the Alliance uh, in West Africa. And um, we have different medical clinics in the West Africa area, and one of those is the Hope Clinic in Guinea, West Africa. And they got their first suspected Ebola uh, patient this week. Well, as you can imagine, that starts to you know run a lot of concern, but also a lot of opportunity uh, with people. And so I want us to pray for um, the Christian Missionary Alliance workers that are at Hope Clinic and in Guinea West Africa because we're partnered globally with uh, the Alliance Works. Uh, but there's a lot of other concerns, uh, as we well know, that have happened uh, in the last couple months that we need to be in prayer about. So Mike's going to lead us off, this Mike, uh, with uh, words of adoration and thanksgiving. Melissa going to be praying for us as a body, and Mike Bartell is going to be praying uh, for this particular need as well as other needs around the world. Will you join me in prayer around the dinner table this morning?
1: Thank you, Lord, for being such a loving God. And I praise you, I praise you, I praise you. Lord, your blessings aren't so numerous, Lord, I'd spend an hour up here praising you for them. Lord, your salvation that brought us a future. Lord, that salvation also brought us peace. Peace. It brought us, and I thank you for the protection, the provision, the healing, and the peace you give us, Lord, through your precious Holy Spirit that you left for us, Lord. You didn't leave us orphans, and I praise you for that. I praise you for the air we breathe, Lord, for the bodies you've given us, for the ability to act on all the purposes that you give us, the gifts that you give us. I praise you for that, Lord. I praise you, Lord, for most of all loving us so much and putting up with us. And, Lord, I just thank you, Father, for the future. I thank you and praise you, Lord, for what this church is going to do. I praise you, Lord, for what you're going to do collectively and individually. And, Lord, I just want to praise you for who you are, what you're doing, and for the future. Thank you, Jesus.
2: And, Father, we're so thankful that you allow us each week to gather together as a church family in a large corporate setting. Father, I pray for all of the physical needs that we have here, um, from physical health. Father, um, I pray that your healing balm would be um, each person's portion, Lord, that you would bring healing to bodies, Lord. We also pray, Lord, for possibility of job loss, that um, you would You would uh, meet the needs of, of um, each individual. Lord, you've said that uh, you won't even let the sparrow <laughs> go without and that you would take care of even just a little bird. Father, how much more do you love each of us, and that you would care for each person in this congregation. Father, we're thankful that you have um, given us our children, and we pray for the children of the awakening, some of them heading back to school this week. We pray, Lord, for your mercies. We pray for um, a peace in their spirits. Father, um, as in the weeks to come as well, as college students um, go away to school, other schools begin, I pray, Lord, that each home would be girded up with your truth, that each home would be a place of safety, that each home would be a place that um, the children love to come back to. Father, we pray for our children's ministry and the um, unbelievably awesome volunteers that we have. I pray, Father, that you would give each Child, um, that they would come out of this this uh, Sunday morning knowing that you love them, Lord, and that the um, volunteers would enjoy serving you and um, give their and we think we're thankful for their time, Father. Lord Jesus, we pray for the the student ministry, and we're so thankful that we have a group of kiddos that want to know more about you and we pray as they go into their schools this coming weeks that you would help them to be a light in our community. Father, we pray for us, um, the awakening as a church as a whole, um, as we minister to people outside of our church. Lord, I pray for the Temecula Valley that as each of us touch individuals throughout the week, whether it just be in a line at a grocery store or at a workplace, I pray, Lord, that they would see Jesus, they would see you Um, in our actions. Father, we love you. We praise you. We thank you for this church body.
3: Heavenly Father, we come to you this morning. We, We look to you as the creator of all the universe and all there is. And Lord, we ask questions. Why? Why? Why is this going on? We think of the Ebola situation in Guinea, West Africa, Father. And we ask that you put protection around those caregivers that are there and bring healing to people of magnificent and wonderful healing that only you can perform, Father, that the people around would know that you have visited them. Lord, we thank you for this time where we can come together and worship in freedom when we know so many in the world don't even have a place to go, and they'll bow down in a ditch just to you, Father. Father, I think of the people in Afghanistan. I think of the people in Iraq, especially the Yazidis right now, who are faced with extermination as a people, and how well we know that. We've seen that through history, and I pray for their safety. I pray for your presence amongst them, that many of them would come and bow their knee to you. I pray for the soldiers from America, the Special Forces soldiers that are there to protect them and to help them. I pray for America as we have wandered away from you, Father. I pray with all my might and all my heart, Father, that you would get to the leaders in Washington and show them why this nation was founded, to be that great light on a shining light on a hill that we might be able to present the gospel to the world. We might be able to show Jesus alive and well here on planet Earth. Father, there's so much to pray about. And no, I know that most here in this room would know that I'm always praying for Israel, and especially the situation in Gaza. Father, and I ask... Knowing the end from the beginning, as I know your word, Lord, that you will be glorified in all of this eventually. Father, I just ask that you protect your people, both there, abroad, and here. Father, this is a world that's gone crazy, and I ask that you take control of it again. It's a simple prayer, Lord that you take control again. We know that you know the beginning from the end. And I ask that you bless every life that is here this morning and those that they represent. Lord God, creator of the universe, nothing is too small for you. I ask this in Jesus' precious name. Amen.
0: Well, I had some experiences at a DMV situation this week. (laughs) Oh, my goodness, California. God bless you all people. But aren't you glad you don't have to take a number to talk to God? We can just circle up and we can pray. And we can pray about things that are heavy on our heart one to another. And together, corporately, that prayer is offered up as incense before the Lord. And He not only hears our prayers, but He is powerful to act upon our prayers Never, ever lose sight of the power of prayer. We do not pray for the work. Prayer is the work. Thanks for sharing together in that around the table. We I uh, have a picture here of one of the many socials that uh, went on in the last uh, couple months concerning guess who's coming to dinner. If you uh, were not able to make it to one of the socials, come talk to me personally afterwards. The summer is not quite over yet, and if you're feeling lonely, we want to get you connected with some friends. All right, but uh, we come down to today. Guess who's coming to dinner? You guys, uh, different people have been coming to me about different characters. We have this character, that character, whatever. I am sorry I'm not going to get to all the characters that some of you would like to have. So, you know, maybe next summer or somehow we'll pull it back in and we'll continue to go through some of the Old Testament characters. We've been predominantly majoring on the major characters. Part of me has wanted to jump into some of the minor characters, some of the uh, really whacked out characters and some other things. But we stayed with some of the prominent main characters of the Old Testament and invite them to our dinner table to see what they would say to us in uh, 2014 uh, Temecula Valley. And today, who we invite to dinner, you would probably guess if you're on the journey, it has to be a prominent character we cannot miss, and that is the character of David. And so we are going to focus briefly on the life of David today. Yes, that's a young David there in that picture. Uh, But David spans over uh, quite a, a significant section of the Old Testament. And so when I came to realizing I really wanted to, you know, anchor on David towards the latter part, I was uh, taken back by where do I really anchor the whole story of David at, because it's young to old. But uh, if you look back at our timeline that we've thrown up from week to week, the timeline uh, describes from the early creation all the way to uh, the uh, captivity issues and then into the restoration of the people back uh, in Israel. But the United Monarchy sits right in the middle, about 1000 BC, 1000 years before Christ came, and you have Saul, David, and Solomon. Saul, David, and Solomon, and to some degree they all go together because the story just unfolds in First and Second Samuel, and from there, and so uh, that's where we're moving is into the middle part today. After the period of the judges, and we talked about that a couple of weeks ago with Gideon, and the cycle of falling into sin, and then crying out to God, and God bringing a deliverer, then after a while they finally said, we don't just want to deliver every now and then, we want a king, we want a king, we want a king, and so finally God consents. He says, all right. I'll give you a king. And why did they want a king? Because all the other um, nations, if you will, around them had a king. And so they thought they should have a king. But it wasn't necessarily God's plan to put a king in charge of Israel. Because who is the king of kings? God is and his son. But they uh, wanted a king. He gave them a king. Samuel was the guy who was orchestrated, used by God as part of the end of the judges period. And God called him to pick Saul And Saul was picked, and Saul didn't do a very good job. In fact, within just a few short days, God started to write Saul off. And he started to pick someone else. And that person he picked was David. The person he picked was David. And so the David's story begins at a very young age. And uh, one of the key things, if you want to just sort of put down the heart and the gist of today, um, that really needs to be known about David Uh, If he was uh, to come and have a conversation with us around the table, what would David share around our dinner conversation today? I think it would lean right in to how David is described throughout all of Scripture. And one of the reasons it's exciting to look at his life this morning, David was known as a man after God's own heart. And he would just simply say, be a person after God's own heart, if you want to know simply what we're going to be talking about today. He was a man after God's own heart. A man, a woman, a child after God's own heart, that was his branded identity, but you need to know this about David. He had a trajectory that wasn't just up and to the right. He had an up and down life. He has all kinds of... Uh, cool, exciting things that happen to him, and he has bottom-down sinful experiences. So you can always identify with David, and that's probably one of the reasons he's uh, one of the most endeared people of the Old Testament, is because you can go, oh, I can identify with him. It's like Peter in the New Testament. Oh, Peter screws up all over the place. I can identify with him, right? And so here's David, a person, a man after God's own heart, but yet we identify with him because of all the different seasons and the trajectories that happen in his life. Now, David came to be picked by God at a very young age. And David was picked by God for a particular reason. When Saul started to disobey God and wasn't following through, the word came that God was going to lift his pleasure from Saul. And he was going to place it on someone else. We find this in 1 Samuel 16, verse 6. When they arrived, Samuel saw Elab and thought, Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before the Lord. Now, where's Samuel at in this moment? God told Samuel, I'm pulling back my anointing from Saul. I'm going to put my anointing on someone else. I want you to go to this family that's in Bethlehem. Father's name is Jesse. He has some sons, and I'm going to show you which son is going to be the new king. All right? They didn't have big-time elections back then. God just says, this is the person, right? And so Samuel's being used by God. He goes to Jesse's house, and he sees the son starting to come out. And there's some really strong, dapper kind of sons. People go, boy, that has to be the person, and that's what he's saying here. Surely the Lord's anointed stands here before me when he saw this first son. But the Lord said to Samuel, do not consider his appearance or his height, for I have rejected him. The Lord does not look at the things people look at. People look at the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. How many of you stood in the mirror this morning and you went to yourself, Oh, I can't do anything with this. Good news. Good news. If God's standing with you, looking in the mirror, He's saying that doesn't matter to me. No matter how tall you are, how short you are, how much weight you put on or not put on, what your clothes look like, what type of you know uh, tight facial features you have or things, God doesn't care. That's good news because you live in a culture that week in week out is telling you to be defined by how you look, or what you have, or who you are entitled. That's not where God looks. And that word is for someone in here today. Because you've been crushed, you've been beat down, somebody has been on your case, some things have happened, maybe there's health issues, other things, and God says, I'm not looking there. I'm not looking there. I do not look for what other people look at. People look on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the, heart and that's not the thing that pumps the blood through your body the heart is the center the very core of your being who you are and so one son after another after another he went through seven of them and samuel says to jesse he says there's none of these you got any more sons and i got one he's out taking care of the sheep though the youngest one bring him in so he brings in david And he sees David as a young boy and he says, this is God's anointed one. This is God's anointed one. Now, when you're in a uh, situation that you have a, a lot of siblings, you know that you have to fight for what you can get around the table and otherwise when you're the youngest many times. But God looked past all the others and he saw the youngest. He picks this one not because he was the youngest, not because he was dapper and good-looking, not because he had tremendous stout potential to be successful in the world's eyes, but he knew, he knew the heart of this young boy. Some of you that work with children, some of you have your own kids, have you ever identified that? That sometimes there is a heart that's tender towards God. That's a precious thing. Cultivate it. Encourage it. It's more important than getting on that soccer team or that travel league team or being able to do that, uh, that instrument and play it right. If you can see the heart that a youngster has for God, cultivate it. God noticed that in David. And he picked him as a young boy. He became not only the king but he became someone who's known throughout Scripture and all of history as someone who had a heart after God. Second Chronicles 16.9, the New Living Translation says this, The eyes of the Lord search the whole earth in order to strengthen those whose hearts are fully committed to him. He's looking. He's looking, and he's not looking for how well you decked out today. <laughs> And he's not looking for all the other credentials you got going. He's looking for the heart. He's looking for the heart. Friends, I want to encourage you because it happens to me as well. Even in ministry as a pastor, do not be driven by the agendas of the people that are around you. Do not be driven by the agendas of the marketplace. And do not be driven by the agendas of celebrity Christianity, whatever it may be. Be driven by one who has a heart after God. And he's looking for that. And if he finds that, guess what? He's going to take you, he's going to use you, and he's going to bring you to a place of deep fulfillment in your life. Because you know that what you're participating in is eternal. When you're participating in knowing God and his work. So in 1 Samuel 13, 14. Samuel says this to Saul. But now your kingdom will not endure. Because he had sinned. The Lord has sought out a man after his own heart. And appointed him ruler of his people. Because you have not kept the Lord's command." Again, if you want to be picked, be someone who has a heart after God. And that is how David was picked and how he's known. So this is the first thing I want to state to you, that I believe David would say to us if he was around our dinner table. Passion to know God's heart is the gateway to passionate intimacy with the Lord Almighty and defining impact in his kingdom's work. Passion to know God's heart is the gateway to passionate intimacy with the Lord Almighty, and the defining and defining impact in His kingdom's work. Let me take those two things: passionate intimacy and defining impact. Passionate intimacy to know the God, the Creator of the universe, God Almighty. He has made it possible for you to be in not just a relationship. Yeah, I know I'm. Yeah, I'm saved. Eight intimate relationship with Him. We don't like that word. Well, at least us guys don't like the word. That's like God, intimacy. God desires to have an intimate relationship with you, for you to be known by Him and for you to know Him. It's priority. It's at the top. And so a heart for God, if you want to have a heart for God, then you are wanting to have God's heart. A heart for God is someone who wants God's heart, someone who is deeply spiritual, someone who is genuinely humble, someone who is down to the core servant with integrity. I mean, these are the aspects you should hunger and longer. God's not looking for spectacular humanity. He's looking for hungry hearts to know his heart so that his heart may be a part of their heart, one in the same different junctures in my life. I've asked God to change my heart from maybe sometimes being a cold and different heart, maybe be from being a wondering heart, maybe from being a jaded, cynical heart, to being a heart that reflects His heart. And so you begin to pray dangerous prayers. And one of the earliest prayer seasons of my life is when I went to graduate school To study to be in ministry, trying to get, you know, all all the I's dotted, the T's crossed, every box checked. You know, I'm good to go. Push him out there. Whoo! now I can be a pastor. I knew I would fall. I had enough friends who had been in the ministry that were no longer in the ministry. I knew I would get weary if I did not really have the real thing, which was God's heart. And so my prayer was, God, give me your heart. And I phrased it this way. It is a dangerous prayer. Lord, help me to see people as you see people. Lord, help me to be burdened about the things you're burdened about. Lord, give me your love for people to be loved as you desire for them. To be loved. Help me to see, give me the burdens, give me the love. Dangerous praying. Is that a part of your prayer life this last week? Or has your prayer life been more of, boy, let me help help me help me pay the bills this week? Or could you just take away that pain in my body? Lord, could you just get a hold of my kid and put them in their, their place, get them turned around? No. Those are all fine prayers because they're out of the needs of your heart. That's good, but the prior prayers need to be, God, I want to have Your heart, and to do that, I want to go on a journey with You of building intimacy. A lot of times, that for me has been defined by my walks. I mentioned before I went on one last night was a nice. I am so thankful God gave us a place to stay and live here in Temecula that actually has a, a quarter mile, half mile uh, dirt road I can walk. And uh, I looked up at the moon, sort of bright last night, <laughs> having a nice, nice prayer walk. It was late around midnight. And uh, my dog, Maggie, running off ahead of me wherever. And I thought to myself, you know, it's the same moon that I had back in the Midwest. It was the same moon that I started walking underneath when I was 15, 16, 17, 18, 19 years old, when I started getting serious about my walk with God. The moon, to me, doesn't necessarily represent anything other than the God of creation is there and present. Same with the stars. Same with the sunrise I saw come over the mountains this morning, early. I want to know the God of the universe, and I want to spend time in his presence And I want him to change my heart to reflect his heart. Whether or not I succeed in life, in ministry, whatever it may be, I want to go from this life to the next as one who is known as a man who is after God's heart. Passionate intimacy needs to be at the priority of our life. Even if you're a non-believer walking in the doors today and you have no relationship with God, you need to know this. The God of that universe wants to have you in an intimate relationship with him. Where do you think David in his early years got some of that tenderness towards God? I think it was out taking care of the sheep, the shepherd. One of the challenges in talking about David, it's just not only the history of David and like in 1st and 2nd Samuel and 1st Kings and stuff. It's He wrote half of the 150 psalms that are in our scriptures. And it's like reading somebody's personal journal. You ever done that? Felt guilty about it? Shouldn't have done that. <laughs> but the psalms are the personal journal of David. And you can find his his entries for all kinds of situations in his life. But one of the most famous entries is Psalm 23, right? For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Period. You could stop right there. For the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me to lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He restores my soul. He guides me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake. (laughs) Well, Lord, yea, though I walk through this valley of shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table (laughs) before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. And my cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Friends, someone doesn't write that in their journal unless they're pursuing intimacy with God. At a young age, I believe, he had those kinds of journal entries. What are your journal entries? Oh, maybe you don't have a journal. But what are your prayers like when you lay your head on the pillow? What are your words to God when you take a prayer walk? Is it someone who reflects a passion to know intimacy with God and to be able to have a defining impact in his kingdom's work? So it's the primary characteristic of God, of David, the foremost thing I believe David would say to us around the dinner table today. But because of his heart for God, he was picked, he was chosen at a young age to lead the Israelite people into what became the golden age of Israel. Even to this very day, if you look back on the history of Israel, the golden era was with King David. And King David began his work by stepping out in one of the most famous stories that you and I know. So I thought I'd just take us back there and give you a little clip of it as at least the History Channel thought it unfolded.
4: To secure the Promised Land, the Israelites must defeat the Philistines. But King Saul has lost God's blessing. And now he faces the Philistines' greatest champion, live. Will one of you fight me? Israelites You win And the Philistines will be your slaves I win And you Will be our slaves Someone must fight him! Not you, Jonathan. The warrior who defeats him will be a rich man. Not one man in Israel Not one of God's people. I'll do it. David.
0: It. You're no soldier, you're a shepherd.
4: Yes, a shepherd. So I protect my sheep. God will protect me. Where is your faith? Where is your God? I will kill him. You'll need this. I'll be better without it. The shadow of death. I fear no evil. You are with me. The iron staff, they comfort me. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. I will fight you!
0: Every day they talk about somebody small taking on somebody big. It's a David and Goliath story, right? Goes all the way back to the young boy who had a passion heart to know God's heart and was able to walk into something that I wouldn't have walked in. I'd do it. How many would have said, I'd do it? I think most of us have been pushing everybody else around. We're doing what Saul did with his son. Not you, Jonathan. I'm going to save you. This is crazy. But David at a young age, he stepped out and he was obedient to God and there was defining impact that he had in God's kingdom work because of that obedience. Now David there didn't become king, of course, right away. In fact, there were a number and number of years that he rightfully submitted and respected King Saul, even though Saul was not respectable. But God in his time ended up placing David on the throne. And David did defeat the enemies. And he did establish the prominence of the Israelite people. Why? Because God's into nationalism? No. God's in to worship. And we worship many a times by seeing God in the lives of others. And so God blessed the Israelites so that they could be a blessing. So that all of us could come. To a place of worship and following him. And the reason we would cheer for something like that, yeah, why? Because we like enemies to be defeated that are not God centered, and those who do have a heart after God for them to be upheld. I, um, you know, when I watch a clip like that, and then you go back, and I'd encourage you to go back to um, the scriptures and read um, the story of David and Goliath in 1 Samuel 17. Uh, It's interesting, you start to tie into um, uh, the unique characteristics of what's actually happening, like even there with Goliath. Goliath was probably about nine feet tall, they believe. But when the stone hit him, it embedded deep into his skull. It just didn't pop out. It embedded in his skull, and he didn't fall to the side. He fell straight forward. And then they didn't show the gory part, which is David took his sword and did what? But is hell. All right. I want you to know that the God of the universe still has eyes that are looking to and fro to find those who have a heart for him. And those who have a heart for him and establish it as a priority, they will come to a deeper place. I know unique pronounced personalities and all, but a, a place growing intimacy with God, and defining impact. But David had his downside stories too. And probably the most well-known is when he was riding high, he was riding at the peak of who he was as king. He had his armies out fighting in the spring, as scriptures say, as they would often do. And Scripture records that he was roaming around on the roof of his building. They weren't slanted roofs, they were flat roofs. And as he was roaming around on the flat of his building that one day, he looked across the way, he looked across the way, and Scripture says this, Second Samuel 11, with David and Bathsheba. One evening David got up from his bed and walked around on the roof of the palace, from the roof he saw a woman bathing. The woman was very beautiful, and David sent someone to find out about her. The man said, she is Bathsheba, the daughter of Elam, and the wife of Uriah the Hittite. Then David sent messengers to get her. She came to him, and he slept with her. I bet David wishes Second Samuel 11... He could rewrite. David fell at his peak. It's been one of the most poignant statements that I ever remember preached in a sermon before. Because none of us are outside the ability to fall so dramatically as David did in that moment. He not only sinned with adultery. Bathsheba got pregnant. He tried to cover it up. He brought her husband back from the front lines, hoping that he'd sleep with her and it would be covered over. Uriah wouldn't sleep. In his home, he would sleep at the palace entrance. David wined and dined him the next night, thinking he'd get him drunk. Then he would go back home and lay with his wife. Uriah didn't. Because he says, why should I have the pleasures of home when my brothers are out there fighting? So David said, he sends him back to the front line. Along with a messenger note that basically says, put him at the very front. And when he gets out there, withdraw. So he's standing by himself to be sure that he's killed. Friends, that's premeditated murder. You see the statement here. From the roof, he saw a woman bathing. The woman was beautiful. And David sent someone to find out about her. Acknowledging someone's beauty. Is not a sin. But the moment you start to desire personally that which your eye is beholding, you have now stepped down a slippery slope. That's why Jesus said, whoever looks upon a woman with lust in her eyes has already committed adultery. Adultery begins with the thought. That statement right there, that emotional adultery, he sent someone to find out about her. What in the world are you doing that for, David? Why are you toying with sin? Even someone who's known through all of history as a man after God's own heart has the temptations that can cause them to fall into grave sin. You know, the penalty for adultery was to be stoned and killed. The penalty for Premeditated murder, the same. And the hypocrisy that he lived, significant. I'm not so sure there's not one of us in this room that, you know, we couldn't say, "He's, he's a worse sinner than I in that part. But God still took him and did what? Restored him. He sent a prophet by the name of Nathan. Nathan comes to him and he tells him, This story, we don't have time to read it, but you can look for yourself in 2 Samuel 12. And Nathan uh, describes this story of great injustice. And he says, David, what do you think should be done with such a man? Well, such a man, he, he needs to be done away with. It was him. He's sin. He's wrong. So David has this welling up inside him about this injustice concerning this story that the prophet Nathan has told him. And then Nathan flips it on him. And it says this in 2 Samuel 12. Then Nathan said to David, You are the man. This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. I anointed you king over Israel and delivered you from the hand of Saul. And he goes on and describes all the beautiful things that he'd done for David. He said, David, I'd given you all this, but then you have done this? You are the man. You ever been confronted by sin by someone else? Don't like it. Don't like it, do we? And a lot of times, what's our immediate reaction? Our immediate reaction is to justify ourselves. Well, wait a second. I had good reason to carry on that way. And it may not have been the sin of adultery or murder or something like that. It may have been the sin of gossip or lying or slander. All right, or having a, an anger, uh, angry spirit towards someone, and you know, lying, cheating, whatever. And it's like, well, wait a second. I, I, no, it's understandable why we go there because we have a sinful nature. But here's what David did. In Second Samuel twelve thirteen, then David said to Nathan, "I have sinned against the Lord." Nathan replied. The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Read the story for yourself this week in your own personal devotions if you want. But just incredible disposition that happened to David when he was confronted with his sin. And I believe the reason that he made the right turn, the reason he made the right turn when he was confronted with his sin, when he hit the pit, is because he was a man after God's own heart. And he could hear the voice of God speaking to him. You're right. I am the man. I have done wrong. And immediately, there's not like verses and chapters. Immediately, Nathan says to him, The Lord has taken away your sin. You are not going to die. Every week we come and we worship. And in and during one song or another, it's going to give reference to Jesus and what Jesus Christ did on the cross. He died, took our sins upon himself so that our sins could be forgiven. It is the good news that we share, the gospel of forgiveness of sins, but also entrance in the kingdom of God into fellowship with him. King David, at the peak, fell to a lowest place. God the Redeemer redeems him and calls him back to himself. And David is obedient. Obedient in repentance and obedient in realigning and turning his life. Now, the kingdom was never the same. In fact, the baby that was born to Bathsheba, he ended up taking Bathsheba in to be his own wife after Uriah died. The baby was probably a year, year and a half old, and God inflicted it, and the baby passed away. David was devastated. But then God, guess what he does? He gives another child to David and Bathsheba. Now, David had other wives. There was other concubines. Yeah, we won't go into that whole story. That's the way life was back then kind of deal. But God chose a union of David and Bathsheba to give birth to a baby boy by the name of Solomon. And Solomon took over the throne from David. You can go into the Gospels and guess where the lineage of Jesus Christ comes from. The lineage of Jesus Christ comes from... From David, son of David, he's referred to sometimes. But how does that lineage play its way out? Through Bathsheba, through Solomon, all the way to Christ. Of all the lineages that God could have picked, why in the world did he pick the one through Bathsheba? Why not pick one of the many other sons that David had? I think God delights in taking brokenness. And some of you have some pretty pitiful brokenness in your life. And redeeming that, you just hang on and stay true through the years. And he will establish his blessing upon in and through your life and your family. So the second thing I think David would say to us is this. The difference between failure and greatness when falling sinfully before the Lord is whether you... Offer genuine repentance and embrace genuine grace. The difference between failure and greatness when you fall sinfully before the Lord, and we all fall, is what you do when you fall. Do you offer genuine repentance? Not, oh, I you know, trying excuses. No, I have sinned. It is me. I am the man. As surely as on that video clip when David said, I'll do it. Just simple statements. It's me. I'm the person. I have sinned, period. And you repent. And then you embrace God's grace. Let's go back to his journal. His journal, Psalm 51. Psalm 51 is his psalm of repentance. His psalm of repentance concerning the David and Bathsheba concerning his situation with Bathsheba. Have mercy on me, O God, according to your unfailing love. According to your great compassion, blot out my transgressions. Wash away all my iniquity and cleanse me from my sin. For I know my transgressions and my sin is always before me. Against you and you only have I sinned and done what is evil in your sight. So that you are proved right when you speak and justified when you judge. Surely I was sinful at birth, sinful from the time my mother conceived me. Surely you desire truth in the inner parts. You teach me wisdom in the innermost place. Cleanse me with hyssop and I will be clean. Wash me and I will be whiter than snow. Let me hear joy and gladness. Let the bones you have crushed rejoice. Hide your face from my sins and blot out all my iniquities. And then verse 10. Create in me a pure heart, O God, and renew a steadfast spirit within me. Do not cast me from your presence or take your Holy Spirit from me. Restore to me the joy of your salvation and grant me a willing spirit to sustain me. David, his utmost concern was that the presence of God would be lifted from him. That's the mark of one who has a heart after God, is that the presence of God would always be with him, no matter what, even in his repentance and his embrace of grace. So I just want to close in prayer, and then we're going to have a closing song. I want you to know this this morning. If God's speaking to you, He wants you to come to Him. And you come to Him with genuine humility and repentance. And He comes to you with the loving embrace of His grace. This is not only for your life, but it's for your friend's life as well. It's the good news that we share you pray with me? Father, this morning, your spirit has spoken to a broken soul. May that individual find time today, this afternoon, this evening, to go into your creation and to worship before you with a spirit of repentance and a hungry heart to know you. Lord, you meet us in our deepest need. You do not abandon us if we come to you with an authentic desire to hear from you, to be rebuked by you, to be restored by you, I pray, God, for that soul that needs that forgiveness today, that they would find it in you, even this hour. And, Lord, for all of us, I pray that you would help us to keep our priorities right, that we would be people who had a passion to know you passionately. So, Lord, help us on that trajectory every day amidst even busy schedules and other agendas that are pressing upon us. May we walk with you in the presence of all those things. And may we commune with you. May we have a love for your word as David did. And may we walk faithfully and upright with you to the best of our ability as you enable. And, Lord, may we serve you in creating impact with others as you would lay As you would lead. Lord, we love you. In your name we pray. Amen. David created new psalms. We sing a lot of the psalms that he wrote. He was known for being someone new, writing something new. Guess what? We're going to close with a new song. And as we close with a new song, the ushers are going to come to receive the Lord's tithes and his offerings as well as your connection cards. If there's a reason that you would like to see someone follow up for you in the time of need that you have, just note that on your connection card and turn that in. We'd be glad to do that for a particular prayer concern. But let's sing a new song as the Lord lifts our hearts. Chris and the team lead us and the yeshers will come.